0: In Durham, North Carolina, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Durham, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Durham. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr. And I have a really cool class today. This is a this is sort of a subtlety, a deep dive, some nuance to the idea of whether or not you should sell your rental properties and then take that money and invest them in the stock market, if and only if that means that you can be financially independent. So what we're gonna cover is. I'll set up the kind of scenario so you understand what we're doing. I'll kind of give you a little background. Then I'll walk you through some of the numbers and we'll kind of wrap it up. So here's the idea. So imagine for a minute, you are wanting to do the nomad strategy. Nomad strategy is where you buy a property as an owner-occupant. You put 5% down in this case, although you can put any, you know, 3.5%, 0%. You know, you can put more than 5% if you want to. In this case, we modeled it using 5% down. So you you go buy a property as an owner-occupant with 5% down. Yes, you do have private mortgage insurance but you move into the property, you live there for at least a year. It is a requirement of a lender that you live there for a year. Once you've lived there for at least a year, you save up and you buy your next property. And it could be at the year point, it could be later than a year. It depends on the city and kind of like the assumptions we use for that particular city. So we modeled this in 300, 304 cities now. We actually got rid of one city this last week. So you modeled it in 304 cities and you buy your next property. You convert the previous one to a rental And you repeat this process until you have up to 10 rentals. And the thought process is you can, using that model, achieve financial independence when all of the income coming in from your rental properties and any money you have invested in the stock market using a safe withdrawal rate, those two things combine, the cash flow from your rentals and the money you have invested in stocks using a safe withdrawal rate, when they exceed your income, the amount of money you need, your your expenses that you need to live. So the idea is, when does does that person achieve financial independence? However, if you're doing that strategy, and you've got all these rental properties, and let's say the cash flow on them in your particular market is not amazing, sometimes you're looking at a ton of equity in these properties, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, should I just sell these properties, pay the proceeds, you know, pay the... uh, the closing costs, pay the real estate commissions, uh, pay capital gains taxes, pay the depreciation recapture tax, and take that money and then go invest in the stock market because if I invest in the stock market, I can use a safe withdrawal rate in order to live on that and be financially independent. And in some cases, as you will discover, it actually is faster for you to sell the rental properties and invest in stocks to be financially independent. It's kind of crazy. There are other times though, when it would be better for you faster for you to actually do the nomad strategy. And really what I'd like to compare is not just the speed of getting to financial independence, but also net worth. You know, if you have a higher net worth doing one strategy versus the other, or do you get to financial independence faster doing one strategy versus another? And we'll look at this analysis over 305 cities. And you may be thinking to yourself, you know, James, why does this happen? And part of the reason this happens is this concept of return on equity. And I covered this in the class last week. I think the class I taught last week where I covered this was called um, Accessing Property or Accessing Equity in Properties. It was a class about like, how do you get out of, how do you get equity out of your properties? You know, we've, we've lived through a period now where very recently property values skyrocketed. You know, the property values are up a lot in the last few years. And because of that, and interest rates were low, so we were paying down on their loans pretty rapidly because low interest rate loans pay down on their loans a little bit faster than um, the the uh, ones where you have higher interest rates. They pay down sooner. It's not faster because you pay them off over you know wherever the period of loan is, but you pay them off sooner, like they get paid off in bigger chunks earlier on, I guess is another way of saying that. Um, So anyway, your equity is growing really, really fast. Your property values are going up. The amount you owe in the loan is actually going down. So the amount of equity you have in your property is going up very rapidly. And so when you think about the returns you're earning on your rental properties, your appreciation return, it's definitely increasing. Your property value is going up. And as long as the the appreciation rate is the same, the amount you're earning, the dollar amount you're earning appreciation is going up. But when you think about the return you're earning on the equity you have in your property, then that is actually going down over time and the amount you're paying on paying down in debt is actually going up over time but the amount you're paying down on debt divided by how much equity you have is actually going down over time cash flow is going up a little bit over time but the depreciation benefit that's static for the 27 and a half years if you're buying a residential property and that divided by equity is also going down so you have these three massive returns appreciation going down over time debt pay down return going down over time and cash flow from depreciation going down over time all when we look at what the return is compared to equity. And we're concerned about this because once you buy a property, we really don't wanna look at return on initial investment anymore because who cares how much you put down when you bought the property 15 years ago? We really wanna know is how much am I earning now on how much I have in the deal such that if I wanted to sell the property and take that money out of the deal, what return do I need to beat? What return do I need to get somewhere else on the money that I'm going to pull out? And so really what we're thinking about is return on how much equity we have in the deal. And technically, we want to think about how much return we're getting on what I call true net equity, which is your equity after all those expenses, closing costs, real estate commissions, uh, capital gains taxes, and your depreciation recapture tax. So it's really how much return we're getting on the money that we would walk away with with closing free and clear of any taxes or any other obligations we have, any expenses we have on it. Okay, And what I'm showing, what I'm trying to point out to you is that the overall return goes down. So when we buy these rental properties, they're like rocket booster returns. This is showing the return from that class I did last week and showing you the overall return we're getting on equity for like doing a nomad strategy, which is what we're talking about today. And you can see how this return is pretty massive early on. But the longer we own that property and the more equity we have in that property, the lower the returns we're earning on that equity and eventually you get to the point where the return is literally just the appreciation rate an unleveraged appreciation rate and your cap rate on the property. Now, if you're in a market where, you know, your cash flow isn't that great, it may make sense to take advantage of when your property's got these awesome returns early on and to sell them and then move that money over to the stock market so that you can get a return on the safe withdrawal rate. Maybe you have a better kind of like the, uh, the, the the amount that counts towards your financial independence. In this case, the amount you have invested in the stock market times your safe withdrawal rate is actually contributing more than the cash flow part of your return is on the amount of equity you have. Maybe you have a massive amount of equity in your property, but cash flow isn't that great. And so in markets like that, those are ones where we would actually see it be faster for you to go ahead and sell your properties, pay all the expenses on them, and then invest that money in the stock market. So we modeled this for over 300 U.S. cities. 304, I think, is the number at this point. We got rid of one city uh, last week. One of the cities we had picked, um, I learned, was primarily a over-55 retirement community. Happens to be one of the top 305 cities in the U.S. in terms of population, but it also happens to be a 55-plus Retirement community. And so I didn't think it was a representative city to do analysis on. So I've since removed it. So now we're down to 304. Okay. So in this case, we're comparing in both the scenarios, both the cases we're comparing, you are doing the nomad strategy. You're buying a property, you're moving in, you're living there for at least a year uh, until you save up for a down payment. Then you're buying another property, converting the previous one to a rental, and you're repeating this property until you buy up to 10 rentals. In some cases, you don't get to 10. You know, you're able to reach financial independence before you get to 10. In other cases, you're buying 10, you know, almost in 10 years, okay? So you're doing that, you're putting 5% down and you're doing that, okay? Now, in one of the scenarios, you are not ever selling any properties. You're just always keeping your properties. You're never selling any of them. That's what we're calling the baseline nomad model. However, in the other strategy, we're saying, look, you're gonna do the nomad strategy exactly as the other one was doing it. However, each month, we are going to do some calculations. We're going to calculate, hey, look, if I went and sold my properties and I paid closing costs, if I paid real estate commissions, if I paid capital gains taxes on the gains I've had, while well, since I've owned the property and I pay back depreciation, um, you know, with a depreciation recapture tax, you know, all four expenses you have when you sell a property and the net proceeds of that, if I could take the net proceeds and invest them in the stock market and then use, you know, 4% safe withdrawal rate times the money I now have in the stock market, if that means that I have triggered financial independence, then go ahead and sell the properties. stop buying any more properties at all because we've reached our goal of financial independence and we're done. And then I'm gonna compare those two strategies, baseline nomad where you're not ever selling any properties to this one where if you actually can be financially independent, then do it. That's what we're talking about here. And you can see the analysis. If you want to go drill into the charts and and kind of see what's going on or go look at your individual city and see how your own individual individual city, individual, lots of tongue twister, individual city has performed. You can go to this URL on the screen and actually see it, okay? Now, I've already covered what financial independence, um, I've covered this in previous classes. I'll do a really brief one here. Really, we're saying you're financially independent when the net positive cash flow from your rental properties. This is after all your expenses, your principal, vacancy, principal, interest, taxes, PMI, insurance, maintenance, management, all those expenses come out. The net positive cash flow from that counts towards you being financially independent. Any invested assets you have times your safe withdrawal rate. So any money you have in the stock market or bonds or any loans you've made as a lender, if you want to be a hard money lender or something like that, all of that money, that big pile of money times a yearly safe withdrawal rate would count. So the the 4% of whatever that dollar amount is. If you had a million dollars invested in stocks and bonds and loans out there as a hard money lender, then it'd be about $40,000 a year would count towards you being financially independent. Plus all three passive income types Social Security, annuities, and pensions, which we're not modeling in this particular scenario. So we're really focused in on cash flow plus any safe withdrawal rate times, uh, plus any safe withdrawal rate times the amount you have invested. So those are really the sorts of financial independence. When those exceed your living expenses, that's when you're financially independent in our modeling. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about our assumptions. Man, I've got like a, a, a slow tongue today where I'm like being tied up with all my words. Maybe I should slow down. Maybe that's what's going on here. All right, assumptions. So each city's modeling uses their median home prices and estimated rents on those properties. We did not apply any of the 88 strategies we have to improve cash flow. So this is not like an optimized strategy where you know you could you go into that market or you live in that market and and you expect you're like thinking there's no way I can achieve what he told me because there's no way I can find those types of deals. No, we basically took off-the-shelf properties, median home prices, and the estimated rents you can get on those, and that's what we use. It should not be hard for you to to mimic our results. Okay. In fact, you could really improve on our results further with our assumptions. So the job income does vary based on the city so that they can afford a property in their market. Um, I didn't wanna say, you know, you know everyone makes $5,000 a month and someone in California could never buy a home in that marketplace. So I say, hey, look, your job income is in line with whatever the price of houses are there so that you can qualify for an owner occupant property. In cities where they have a higher income, they then need more passive income, investment income and or rental income to be considered financially independent. So because we gave people in certain cities more income so they can qualify for these loans, we also now set the bar higher for what they need to do in order to be financially independent. They have to actually replace that income. So it gets, even though they make more money, now they need to actually replace that in order to live in that city. Now, everybody starts with just enough in down payment to buy a single 5% down owner occupant property with closing costs. So about 7% of the price of properties in their marketplace. And we do have a minimum of $10,000, which I don't think anyone is hitting. So I probably should even just remove that comment. Uh, But buying owner-occupant properties with 5% down, that's what they're gonna need to do that. With Nomad, they keep moving out of it and they move into their next owner-occupant. So realize that when they buy their property, they only live there until they've saved up enough money for their next 5% down property. And then they move into the property. (laughs) excuse me, I've assumed interest rates when they're buying these owner-occupant properties are 6.5% with 5% down. And that, and that in addition to that, they need to pay PMI, private mortgage insurance, which is insurance you pay to protect the lender in case you default because you didn't put 20% down. That's what PMI is. Uh, If they were buying rentals, which they're not in this case, they're buying these owner-occupant properties and then they're converting them to a rental after they've lived there for at least a year. If they were, we would say that interest rates would be about 7% for those With 20% down. And in those cases, they would not have PMI. And when we do analysis of other strategies, when we compare, you know, buying 20% versus doing nomad or 20% versus 25 or buying all cash versus 25% down. Like we're doing all these different comparisons to show you which ones are better and in which markets they're better. So you can go drill down and see, you know, which ones you may want to consider utilizing your market if you want to get speed or if you want to get higher net worth and kind of like being able to model that. So we're doing all those today, just happens to be the comparison of. Should I sell my rentals in order to pay off, in order to uh, invest that money in stocks? So uh, 7% per year in the stock market rate of return, like all of these assumptions, if you make a slight change to them, it's going to change the results. And one of the ones that will change is if you change how much they're earning in the stock market, that will impact these results you're still using the 4% safe withdrawal rate, but the amount of money, the amount of return they're getting after they convert to stocks and any money they have invested in stocks while they're waiting to invest in more properties, those numbers are earning that 7% return from the stock market. And I modeled this out over a hundred years. If you wanna see any of my assumptions in detail, you can go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash model, M-O-D-E-L, and you can actually see all my assumptions there. Okay, so let's jump right into it. So which ones achieve financial independence? Which ones will it be faster if they actually sell their properties and convert them to stocks? It turns out that in 120 of the 304 cities, it made no difference at all. So in other words, it was not faster for them to actually sell their properties, move to stocks in order to be financially independent. 120 cities. about a third. But that means that. In 184 cities, it actually was faster. It was better for them to sell their properties, pay the fees, closing costs, real estate commissions, capital gains taxes, and uh, depreciation recapture tax. Just bite the bullet, pay all those fees and taxes and costs in in order to do this. Take that money, invest in the stock market, and use a 4% safe withdrawal rate in order to be financially independent. It did faster for them in 184 cities. About two thirds of the cities. I think that surprises a lot of folks, okay? Here's kind of a distribution of what happens. And you can see that, you know, the gray ones are the ones where they are, um, they're doing the selling all the properties in order to be financially independent. And you can see that some of them get moved up. Not all of them, but some of them get moved up. And there are a few on this low, this really high extreme over here, okay? Now, how much better is it? And how is it distributed based on price? Is this all the really, really expensive property cities where this happens? Or is this all the really cheap property cities? Nope, it's spread out. And the, and the difference in the number of months is, you know, it's you know less than 10 years in most cases. But it's actually probably in most cases, it's about five years or less. Okay. So how much faster is it? Just eyeballing this. This is the 5-year line here. It shows that anyone's below here are less than 5 years faster. Anyone's above here are more than 5 years faster. And the each green dot shows you that selling the properties and investing in stocks is better by that many months. And then this this axis shows you how expensive the properties are. So, you know, in the in the properties where it's about half a million dollar properties, that's right here shows you those. Okay? So this just gives you an idea of how much faster it is for which ones and how that is spread out over different priced houses in those marketplaces, okay? So, you know, certain cities have cheaper houses, certain cities have more expensive houses, and you can see that it's not skewed so that this only happens in really expensive markets, or it's only skewed where it only happens in really inexpensive markets, it's spread out a bit. All right, so we talked about achieving financial independence and the speed in order to be financially independent. We said about in two thirds of the cases, It would be faster for you to actually sell the properties, pay all the fees, and invest in stocks in order to be financially independent. However, let's now look at net worth, right? What's your overall net worth if you do this? And in 44 cities, about 15% of the time, you would have a higher net worth at year 40 if you actually did not sell your properties and just kept them. So about 15% of the time, you'd have a higher net worth. In 260 cities, it didn't make any difference at all. 260 cities, no difference at all. With, 184, with, uh, with 44 cities, you would actually have a higher net worth. Now, this is at a snapshot in time in year 40. If we went out to year 50, these numbers would be different, right? Because whenever you go and you sell all these properties, you're probably lowering your net worth. You're paying all the costs in order to get at that equity. You are paying your closing costs and real estate commissions. You're paying your capital gains taxes. You're paying your depreciation recaps. All of those are pretty expensive to get at that equity to begin with. And then if you're, if you're earning 7% in the stock market, that 7% has to be greater than the return you're earning on your rental properties in order for you to have a higher net worth, which in most cases is probably not, okay? So this is a snapshot in time showing you that in 44 cities at year 40, it would be better for you to keep the properties. And it shows you the distribution for those. And it tends to be the ones on the lower end of the price point is where that happens, okay? That just happens to be where it is. All right, so let's take a look at some of the summary stuff. So when you look at, and I have average and I have median here. So on average, selling the properties, if it means you're able to be financially dependent, speeds up your time to financial independence, On average about 21.6 months, a little less than two years. So it's a little less than two years faster to do that. Now that's not a huge difference. It's 4% better when you sell your properties, okay? If you wanna think of it that way, that's on average. If we look at the median, the middlemost number, it's just over a year. It's a year and three months, 15 months. And that's 2.9% better or faster to have done that, okay? As far as net worth goes, When you do the nomad strategy and you don't sell any properties, your net worth on average is 11.168 million. So 11.1 million in year 40. When you sell all the properties, your net worth on average is 10.8 million. A difference of about 329 thousand. Now I want to point something out to you. We're talking about numbers 40 years in the future. If you want to think about what that means in terms of today dollars, it's about one third of that. Okay. So, you know, 11.1 million is probably a little less than 3 million in today's dollars. I'm sorry, a little bit less than 4 million in today's dollars. Okay. And, and 10.8 million is less than that, but not that much. The difference is 329,000. That's like a difference of about 110,000 in today's dollars. So we're not talking about huge differences. It's a 3% difference in net worth. So, again, not huge when you do that. Now let's talk a little bit about risk. Oh, by the way, that was average. The the median net worth difference is 8.1 million versus 7.6 or difference of 477,000. In today's dollars, that's like, you know, $150,000 or so. It's 5.9% better for you to have done the regular nomad, not paid those expenses. But are you trading a little bit of net worth in order to be able to be financially independent earlier, faster? Okay. And you know what we're not talking about is we're not talking about the idea that you may be able to, in some cases, still stop working when you haven't technically achieved financial independence, knowing that you could convert it to the stock market at any time, but you could sort of like, I don't know, almost coast in. I'll have to do a whole class on that later. But the idea is that sometimes, even when you're not quite at financial independence, you can stop use some money to kind of like bridge the gap to get there. Okay. Like imagine for a minute, you're looking at your rental properties and you realize that, you know, a whole bunch of properties are going to pay off a year from now, but you have more than enough cash set aside to get you to that year point. And at the year point, when your properties get all paid off, your cash flows are going to increase massively and you'll be financially independent at that one year point, a year from now when you pay off the properties. But let's say your living expenses are $10,000 a month and you've got $500,000 in cash somewhere. Could you go spend $120,000 from your cash, stop working a year early, knowing that a year from now when the properties are paid off and your rentals are going to provide more than enough cash flow in order to support you at that point, could you go and do that? Sure. If you have half a million dollars, you probably do it two years early, right? And so we're not talking about that as a strategy, which is probably a whole separate class. All right, let's talk about risk. When we look at risk, Really, the baseline nomad is going to be a little bit less risky um, when you're looking at things until you get to the point where you sell off the properties, and then you get rid of a bunch of debt, and that becomes less risky for you to have sold off the rental properties at that point. So if you think about it this way, one of the ways we measure risk is... A whole bunch of measures related to debt, like your debt to income or your debt to your net worth or your debt to your liquidity or debt to your account balances is another way of saying that. Or how many months of reserves you have uh, based on how many rental properties you need to kind of like have reserves for. And so you can see when you sell off all your rentals that you de-risk your portfolio. And so whenever you go and you sell off your properties and then invest in stock market, you're trading all the risks we have associated with rental properties for now the risks of the stock market, they're just different risks. It's not that they're necessarily better or worse depending on who you you are and what you believe. But when you actually get rid of a lot of leverage, that does de-risk your portfolio because you're unleveraged, okay? So selling off rental properties tends to de-risk you, except when we look at your total rent resiliency and your total price resiliency, which are a little bit better in in the regular baseline scenario, all right? So, you could apply all of the 88 strategies that we have to improve cash flow to improve on these numbers. We're basically using median price properties and what rent might be on those in each market. You should be able to choose better and do better if you were deciding to do this yourself. And I do model some of those improvements in the modeling thing. You can go see me, you know, do like, you know, what if you can get 10% better rents? Or what if you buy a property at a 5% discount or 10% discount? We look at those and see the impact of doing that versus doing the kind of like baseline scenarios we've got. If you go to the real realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash model, you can see all those for your city. I did it for all 304 cities, okay? Now, realize I am not an expert at your market. If you go look at the, the numbers, you're like, hey, James, you know, these numbers are, not what I'm seeing in the marketplace and you're an expert at your market, please do reach out because I want to improve the numbers and I don't know your market, right? Like I live in northern Colorado. I don't know your market specifically. But we're doing analysis and all these based on you know the numbers that I could see. So if you come to me and say, look, you know, we need to change this prices are actually about 10% less and rents are you know about five percent more and, and you tell me that anyone can achieve that. It's not like you know a killer deal that only you can find and that there's only one of them each every you know every six months. We want to find something that the, not the best case, but what any real estate investor could go and expect to achieve in your marketplace. So if you come to me, we can rerun all the numbers and do that. And then we'll update all these charts and stuff. So if you're watching this video after the fact, and you're like, Hey, the video, the numbers in your video are different than the numbers you're showing on your website. Yeah. As prices change, as interest rates change, as rents change, as someone comes in and tells me, James, your numbers were all hosed. I will update those and we'll readjust them. And so they may show up as slightly different uh, from what you've seen on the video or very different depending on what happens with the market. You know, if interest rates change dramatically in one direction or the other, the numbers will look very different or prices change a lot. That's another thing to say. So reach out to me if you want to update some numbers so we can do that. All right, so in conclusion, in our current market conditions, our current price, current interest rate, current rents in the 300 plus US markets using what I would refer to as less than ideal median price to rent properties, eventually selling all your rentals can help you achieve financial independence faster about 60% of the time. In 60% of the markets, you would be better off selling your rentals after owning them for a period of time and then taking that money and investing in the stock market and living off a safe withdrawal rate. That will get you to five faster in about two thirds of the market, two thirds of the cities. However, you tend to end up with a higher net worth in year 40 In about 15% of the cities by not selling your rentals and paying all those costs, closing costs, real estate commissions, capital gains costs, depreciation recapture taxes, maybe continuing to buy properties even more and not stopping working, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you don't sell the properties, you don't have all those expenses. If you keep buying more properties, if you're not selling them, you keep working, sure, you're going to have higher net worth. That just makes sense. But sometimes you're willing to trade a little bit of net worth for speed to financial independence however the market does matter you would not be able to improve your time to financial independence in every market by doing this that's why you really need to go study your market which i've done all the analysis for you go look at it if you got questions reach out but if you it's best if you look closer at your specific market and apply as many of the 88 cash flow improving strategies as practically possible to improve on your own personal implementation so go check out realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash model, and you could do that. This has been James Orr. I hope you like these classes. I like going into this detail where we could show you the impact of changing your strategy and how doing one little thing differently or having one little tweak in how you implement your plan can have massive impact on things and how it's much better in some markets. And it's not always universally true, which is why there's a lot of arguments in these online discussion forums and amongst people where they say, Hey, it's always better to put 20% down. It's always better to put 25% down. It's always better to not pay off your rentals. It's always better to pay off your rentals. People have these different opinions on things. And the point is that in some cases, it actually is better to do one way. In some cases, it's better to do it the other way. And sometimes it's split. Sometimes it's universally true. But most of the time, it's not universally true. It's sort of like it depends. And that's why we're going over this stuff. All right, hope you enjoyed. This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody.